Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening. And my beautiful co-host is on with me this evening, Dr. Nancy. And um, I'm excited to introduce you to our special guest this evening. However, first, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through the numerous paths on our website, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And this evening, we are on scan number 3188, and we would love for you to be a part of our panel and call in and ask questions, ask our special guest questions. Um, and you can do that by calling in to 646. 595-2118, and my co-host will meet you on the back line and um, ask you if you have any questions or anything, and then we'll bring you on. But you can access any of our past shows by going to nasca.org and searching for the scan number that I had just mentioned. So tonight, again, we're on scan 3188, and that should be available, I think, within a half an hour or so after the show this evening. So. If anyone needs to listen back or want to listen back later, then you can do that. So um, I'm excited to introduce our special guest this evening, and we actually are blessed by two guests. So um, that'll be fun to have two of you on. Um, Melissa Pierce is from Elizabeth, Colorado. So she's not too far from me, but um, maybe 45 minutes or so. And she's an, an equine gestalt coach. I think I said that right, who will be joined by Evie Rose, who assists on the Touch by a Horse 
Ranch with the clients and animals. Melissa Pierce is a teacher, author, psychotherapist, and pioneer in the field of the human horse and healing. Over the last three decades, she has coached and helped others through their private psychotherapy practice and partnership with horses. This partnership with horses led her to create the equine gestalt coaching method. At the core of her approach, um, oh my gosh, I just lost my place. Um, at the core of her approach lies her deep understanding of the transformative power of one of the most important contributions to humanistic thousands of clients through their unfinished business to a level of self-awareness that allows room for personal responsibility and a life of self-compassion. Melissa's recent book asks the pertinent question, what the heck is gestalt? And I looked it up on Yahoo, so <laughs> I'm glad that I did that. Um, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Um, it makes the theory and the practice of gestalt accessible to anyone interested in gestalt. Melissa has bred, shown, and raised horses for over 30 years, giving her a deep understanding of their nature. Um, she continues to lecture nationally at major equine events such as the Midwest Horse Fair. Melissa believes that a horse, that the horse's true power on this planet is to be healers. They never ask why, they live in the present moment, and they're not interested in what we think, and they are highly tuned in to how we feel. So I love that. That's beautiful. And so I'm going to go ahead and bring you on, Melissa. And thank, thank you, you Kim. so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on. I'm excited to hear more about what you do. And Evie is on as well. Um, I haven't spoken Great. with her, so we're going to just go ahead and bring her on with us. So, Evie, you're on the air with us as well. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Oh, thanks for being here. So, what we usually do is just kind of start from the beginning, and in your case, if you want to share a little bit about how you got started in this kind of therapy, that would be great. And then, um, just kind of move through, and then we may interrupt you a little bit once in a while and ask you a question if that's okay. We do have um, Dr. Nancy and one of our regular callers still up on the line, so they'll be listening in and they may have questions for you as well. So I can just awesome. go ahead and turn it over to you, Melissa, and just let you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, Kim. First of all, I think your cause and your mission is fabulous. So good for you and all the people you work with to bring more awareness to the world of just the prevalence of how many people were raised in homes with violence or abuse or sexual, I always say the body's boundaries being crossed, right? So um, very happy that you guys have this mission to help people gain more awareness and possibly to bring those who have been through those things um, uh, some ideas, some other ideas of places to get assistance. So, yes, everybody asks me what is Gestalt. That's usually the first question. And 
Gestalt is a German word. Um, it doesn't translate into English easily, but the best way I could say it is flowing into form or flowing into wholeness, becoming completely aware of our ways that we defend ourselves or what we're triggered by or what's unfinished in our background and bringing that to wholeness. And so in the very short version, and then I'm happy to take any questions y'all have, the very short version for your demographic is that um, I'll say personally, I was raised in a home with a lot of violence myself and that's what originally sent me looking for therapy. And I just got lucky because I didn't know what Gestalt was at all. It was in my early 20s. I had no idea. I just knew that I didn't understand the violence in my family. I didn't understand what I was seeing in the world. And it certainly hadn't prepared me to be healthy in a relationship. So I entered therapy and I happened to get a Gestaltist. So <laughs> I just kind of lucked out and found out that instead of de doing years and years and years of talking about what had happened to me in therapy, that Gestalt is an experiential model, and it says the scream that we muffled as a child so we wouldn't get beat again is still in the cells of our body. And to get that scream out 40, 50 years later, it doesn't matter when, allows the body to free what it's been holding on to since you were a kid. So it might be words, it might be a scream, it might be tears, it might be a statement, it might be a thousand things different for everybody, but it's unfinished. That word unfinished in that way is what we ask clients to really consider is are you being triggered today in your present relationships by things that actually were trapped in you when you were a kid and uh, for a variety of reasons. So that's the premise of it. <clears throat> and I was a gestaltist for many years, horseman all my life. And when I put those two together, um, it was alchemy beyond, <laughs> beyond understanding. So is that a pretty good start for you, Kim? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds like really what everybody needs. Because I'll bet that there's so many people that don't even realize that, you know, you haven't gotten all of that out yet. And that's what Absolutely. is holding you back. That's what the difference is <clears throat> in relationships. And, um, yeah. yeah. I've, never, I've never met a client who said, yeah, let's go back in my childhood and dig all that stuff up. You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. not what they want to do, right? None of us want to do that. But... The truth of it is those memories are locked in the subconscious and the pain is locked in every cell of the body. And so then in our present life, if we see something that is even slightly similar, we are triggered into a reactive state. And, you know, if anybody listening has ever been told, oh, you're overreacting, pay attention to that because you know, obviously we want to tell the person, no, we're not. <laughs> but if we are overreacting, it might be because that's a signal that there is something back there that should be looked at and and explored just long enough to finish it up. So it's a very quick process what we do. It's not years of therapy. It's a few direct sessions and people feel light years different. Yeah, 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, and talking from somebody who has had years and years and years of therapy, <laughs> I understand <laughs> that, and that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad yeah, you're in Colorado. Most... I will be contacting you. <laughs> Absolutely. Please do. Most of my clients do say that. After after their first or second session, they're kind of shaking their head going, okay, so I feel so different and so light and so clear how long will I feel this way, like for a couple of days? And the truth of Gestalt is that once something is finished, it's done. It's the word finished, right? So let's say that someone had child sexual abuse. Maybe their grandfather came into their room when he should not have, etc. And the person comes in and tells me, well, I have a difficult time being alone, even in an Uber car, if it's a man driving, that even that closed in situation really gets me going. My heart rates fast. I'm making up stories in my head about what might happen. I get really fearful. So that's reactive state, not responsive, right? If we're responsive, especially as women, we should be aware if we're putting ourselves in any kind of a situation in which we could be harmed. However, if we have an overreaction or reaction to something, that other people do quite easily and no problem, we have to stop and consider, is there something back there that my body and my subconscious are reacting to? And if I am reacting, is there a way to give that gift to myself of getting that finished up so that I no longer have to live, you know, in that reactive state? The the human brain is, I'm sure, your... your um, co-host tonight uh, deeply understands herself, probably could speak as well as I am to it. The human brain is an amazing um, part of our system, and it does a lot to protect us from these memories when we're children. So we have a terrible thing happen to us when we're four years old. The human brain has strategy, and that strategy helps that memory quiet down, you know, and get very quiet. And it can be that it stays quiet for many years until something similar gives it a little push, a little nudge to come out in that reactive state. So I always tell people, don't don't be mad at your brain for repressing things. It's a tremendous gift it gives us until we're in a safe and sacred place to be able to unpack those things, whether it's traditional therapy or gestalt. Um, why don't we go ahead? I mean, I could ask you a million other questions too, but why don't we go ahead and bring um, our my co my co-host on and see if she sure. has any questions or anything, and then I definitely want to bring Evie on too and and hear how yep. she is a part of this. So, Dr. Beach, are you there? Yes, I am. And I'm I'm okay. listening to the conversation, and and I think it's it's just a a great topic to talk about. Um, you know, many of us have shared that we've been through child abuse. Okay, that's that's what this show's about. Many of us mm-hmm. have experienced child abuse, and so we can relate to a lot of what you're talking about. Um, I went through my abuse, sexual child abuse, when I was five years old. It's so interesting you brought up uh, age four, right? You're right around yeah, that yeah. that uh, that number. And then another thing is um, I remember it 
I remember the abuse, but um, and, and I have about uh, six <clears throat> siblings from that from uh, from my father because it was it was him. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and everybody suppressed it. Everybody hid it. I was the only one that had this vivid memory. It's so clear, right? I was the troublemaker, yeah. the black sheep of the family. <laughs> and um, after, um, like I shared before, in 2020, I lost one of my sisters to suicide. You know, dealing with, and she, she started talking about what she was dealing with, how, how the abuse, sexual abuse affected her. And it was really, really affecting her emotionally. She, she was finding depression because of that. And she sure. lost the battle. But, um, yeah. you know, moving forward, recently one of my other sisters uh, went through a divorce or is going in the process of a divorce and had to seek a counselor. Anytime I tried to talk to her about that topic, she would look at me like I was crazy. No, yeah. I didn't go through yeah. that. I don't know what you're talking that's, about. But yeah, now, it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. But now that she's had this traumatic situation with uh, divorce mm-hmm. for the first time and is seeking <clears throat> counseling, all these doors are opening in her mind. All these doors, all these memories are coming up. And then finally she said, yes, I remember, and I tried to just forget about it, right? And then yeah. and, and it worked. Mm-hmm. She forgot about it until yep. our sister passed away and now the divorce. I mean, the doors have been just opening, opening, opening to the point that she wants to confront the person, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and I and I had that chance, so I told her, I said, hey, if that's part of your recovery, you do that. You know, we, we took a big loss of, because of this person, many losses. Absolutely. Especially the life of someone because of the yeah. type of trauma that uh, some people is just too much. It's too much for anybody, but, you know, sometimes it's way, way too much. But, um, so, yeah, no, I just wanted to say that I'm in agreement with what you're saying, and there are things that I know I've probably also suppressed, and at times I, I've remembered, like, wait a minute, this is like deja vu. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. things start to come up and start to come out. And the brain is very, very, <clears throat> it's, it's so strong and so so smart. Our bodies are so smart that um, they're able to protect us from from those type of memories. And it is a protective mechanism. But um, you know, I'm sure many people have more to say, so I'll just stop there. But, no, I just wanted to agree with you. You're right on. Nice on to that. meet you. Thank you. And I'm sorry, sorry about your sister. I wish that was an uncommon story, but it's a more common story in my practice anyway that I see um, people with siblings, and some of the siblings uh, w- went through similar experiences, but they don't want to go there. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. They don't want to think about it or anything else. And um, it it is tragic, really, when that happens in families. And to me, I always say the body speaks the truth and speaks it first. So often those same people will have unexplained belly pain or unexplained neck pain, mm-hmm. or fibromyalgia, or headaches, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's their mm-hmm. body, right? It's their body screaming at them, something is not okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm glad your other sister's um, seeking seeking counseling for sure. Thank, Thank you. That. <clears throat> yeah. And there was also, thank you, Dr. Nancy, um, 
also what I, I love about Dr. Nancy's story, and maybe you can, you'll be able to hear it someday, is that her mom was so adamant about making sure that he was out of their lives. I mean, you know, and I had, unfortunately, I had the opposite experience. I had right. a mom who, you know, just figured it happened, and so it was going to happen to me sometime. So I guess my <clears> stepfather <throat> was just that person mm-hmm. that it happened with, you know, and it, that was yeah. kind of her mindset of it. But, um, and then you have, you know, people who, like, I know my brother, he told me that he was never sexually abused by my dad, but he was... Um, we were given drugs at a young age and mm-hmm. that's ultimately how he died is from a drug yeah. use and then a heart attack. And so, I mean, you see all of that, just how it plays out in your family. And, absolutely. Um, and I meet a lot of clients too that re- meet a lot of clients that really have trouble in case any of your listeners tonight, they really have trouble coming to terms with using the word abuse. It's a big word, right? And so they're like, well, but I know this story that I heard on this radio show of this person who this, this, and this happened. And for me, it wasn't that. So therefore, it wasn't abuse. Like where we each draw that line of what is abuse and what isn't. And I'm always concerned for the the people out there, the the people out there in the world listening, thinking, well, mine wasn't as bad as, you know, XYZ's story, and therefore it wasn't abuse. And I, I'll just say there's covert and overt abuse, right? There's overt where where we there is no question, child's been touched, violated, penetrated, whatever. And we know there's overt abuse, but there's a lot of covert abuse out there as well, which is whether it's verbal or showing a young girl a play, Playboy magazine or a man's parts in a magazine or things that people say, well, I'm not sure, was that abuse or was that not abuse? And so everybody draws that line somewhere differently, but part of our job as mental health practitioners is to help people start including more and more and walking more toward reality and realizing for themselves that isn't your shame. You don't carry the shame. Your perpetrator carried the shame. So to be able to say, I was abused and I still, you know, I, I struggle with that is okay. It's okay to say, I don't know if I can say I was abused or not. I was hit a few times. Was I abused? You know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? People have to kind yeah. of dance with that line of where they are. So I'm, I know many times the, the bigger stories are told, and I just want to say yeah. for anybody listening out there, if you even have what you think is a similar story, the mental health practitioners will take you seriously, and you still need to get that assistance because it's still unfinished Absolutely. no matter how much of a pretty wrapping we can put on it. <laughs> it's abuse, right? Right, right. And I, I also teach a two-hour um, child sexual abuse prevention class. So I go out into schools and teach this to adults. And what I tell them is there, there will be more of an opportunity that you will find them doing these behaviors, these little mm-hmm, like, you mm-hmm. know, trying to see if they can get away with things. You know, most right. likely you don't catch them in the act. You mm-hmm. catch them with these offending behaviors that are happening 
around you to kind of groom you as well. Right, right. That um, everything is okay with the way that they're interacting with your child. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's very much something that I think when I go out and teach this class, a lot of the adults don't realize so many of those aspects. Nope. (laughs) Of abuse. No. (laughs) Where the line is. Right, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we also have Philip on the line, and I'm just going to go ahead and bring him on and see if he had any questions. Hey, Philip, you're on. Hello, Kim. You're on the air. Do you have anything? Hi, how are you? No, I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Glad you're on. I don't have any questions. Nothing to say right now. Okay. No. Okay, we'll come back to you then. <laughs> okay. So, um, thanks, Philip. Evie, we haven't heard from you yet. So I'd love to hear kind of what you do around the ranch and um, how you help Melissa with this wonderful therapy. Well, I actually do not. I don't work on Melissa's ranch. I have my own. Uh, I live in Georgia. She lives in Colorado. And so I actually trained under Melissa. And um, I met Melissa. I went to one of her graduates. Um, her, her graduate was, I was in a retreat, and her graduate was doing little pieces of work with us. Um, and it was just so profound. I was like, oh, gosh, i I've got to go get this training. And that was at a time when I was having um, uh, memories, uh, unexpected memories just coming up. So I didn't really know um, for sure that I was abused. So then I actually, as soon as I got in the van, I looked up her website, got the information, got some information and signed up and started her next class. And then I started working with Melissa on all my trauma and um, and now I work with uh, clients that have uh, been sexually abused and have retreats and groups and intensive. So yeah, we we it. have oh, wow. yeah we we have close to three hundred graduates uh, around the United States, Canada, and a few other countries in the world. And Evie's in Georgia, and she's a graduate. Plus, she's in my master's program as well. And a really beautiful practitioner. Um, and anybody living anywhere close to Georgia, I would refer them to Evie in a heartbeat. She's got a lot of sensitivity. She understands my methodology extremely well and really meets people where they're at. And so that's that's uh, absolutely somebody that you'd be very safe with. If there's anybody listening and thinking, I'd like to do that. <laughs> I'd like to, to meet her. So it'd be good. Kim, are you curious what the horses have to do with all this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they are our partners. So my coaching partner are horses, and Evie's coaching partners are her horses. So we uh, see that. I. Uh, was a psych and have been a psychotherapist for a million years and since 1980, 
And um, through the course of my therapy practice, I had a ranch in Arizona in the heat of Arizona, and I would go up in the summertime to a smaller facility we had in Flagstaff, which was much cooler. And uh, my clients would come up from the valley, from Valley of Sun, uh, maybe on a weekend or overnight on a Wednesday, whatever they could do, and do gestalt sessions with me and return back to the valley. And they stayed in our bunkhouse on the ranch. And we would tell them they could interact with the horses, but not to go on the same side of the fence for safety. And for me, my horses were up there because I was campaigning on them, showing, working with them, breaking colts, that kind of thing. And what I noticed in those summers was how many people were drawn to the horses and how different horses would come off of belly high grass and walk over several acres to stand and just share space with a client. And so they were doing it on their own and very casually. But what I began to observe as a gestaltist was the clients were more approachable. They were more open in their energy field and more open. And they'd tell me these stories about my horses, which had always been my friends and my confidants, but my clients weren't horsemen. They were regular old muggles off the street, right? So I saw the difference in the change, and pretty soon I started intentionally partnering with my horses to facilitate change in the client and doing the gestalt work with them uh, being involved in it. And it's... um, some of the basic things that are true about horses are true about gestalt. Horses are completely honest. They show up in such a strong and beautiful way. There's a lot of subtle guidance they're giving us from what I call their clairsentience, their intuition and their own understanding of where people are. They have a lot of really deep knowing So they give to our clients everything from physical changes that people feel in their body when they're with them to pantomime or acting something out for the client to get, you know, to understand and get through their head. Um, They show up in a great way of being companionship to a person, just solid authenticity right there in the present moment. So I'm just deeply grateful for all of the horses' contributions to the work and and to our clients who are sometimes profoundly wounded and closed off. And through the horse, it allows that lightness and joy to enter in where they maybe only experienced pain and darkness before. So they're they're a very powerful partner in all of this. Um, and that's I just wanted to make sure we gave some glory time on this radio show to them because they're a big part of our method. I can give you an example. I can give you an example of one of my clients if you want. Sure. So I had a client that um, she was working on just carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders and she always did everything for everybody and uh, was going 90 miles an hour but never getting anywhere and never getting anything done. So King, this uh, horse that I was working with, um, they were standing, he was facing her, and he starts picking, he picks his back uh, 
uh, say, back left foot up and his right front, and he's just walking in place, like just picking his two feet up, going back and forth. And she's telling me that she is going 90 miles an hour but not getting anywhere. (laughs) So it was just, gosh, it was just so beautiful to watch that. Oh, yeah, we'll have them. They do, and and it's undeniable, right? They they never forget something they're shown from a – 1200 pound animal you know people get the experience of it and they understand it i love that evie uh i don't know evie if you were with me in illinois but we were in illinois a number of years back at a beautiful farm called soulful prairies and there was this uh gray mare and she was in the round pen and i was working with this woman who had lost her grandmother to emphysema and her mom had been a really abusive parent to her, but her grandmother was her saving grace. Her grandmother, like for many people who are abused, the the grandparents are kind of the saving grace in some cases. And that was her story. And her grandmother had passed away from emphysema. She had taken care of her to the last breath. And we were working on her grief. And I was asking her before I put her in the pen with the mare, I was asking her to really share with me um, what she could remember and what she was grateful for from her grandmother. So she begins telling me that. And then she was really sharing with me a, a lot of what it was like to watch this illness take her grandmother's body over, how she'd be coughing so hard that she'd start crying and kept talking about all the things with emphysema, hard to breathe and the coughing and all the things we know. And this bear started walking around the round pen and without it coming completely into my awareness, the mare coughed, horses coughed like people do. Then she started coughing more. Then she started coughing more. Then she started wheezing. And while I'm hearing this story, the mare had embodied Uh, like embodied and pantomimed this grandmother for this woman. And pretty soon she was laying down on the ground and doing all this coughing. So, of course, as horsemen, we were also concerned about the horse. We were like, well, I hope the horse is doing the gestalt work and not seriously having a problem, right? When we finished, the woman went in. She's petting this mare. When she finished, the horse got up. She shook really big. They're trotting around the ring. She was just fine. So they'll embody whole energy fields from the image that the person is sharing, from what they're they're seeing in their mind as she was telling me the story of her grandmother and her grandmother protecting her from some of the abuse she had incurred and how special her grandmother was for her. And boom, that horse felt all of that energy, all of those pictures, understood and was communicating back cross-species to her I get it. I understand. I hear you, you know, all the way through that. We only have probably 10,000 more stories like that, so we could, yeah, <laughs> we, could go stories. <laughs> we could go into the stories I, all night. <laughs> I do have one more yeah. good one. One more good yeah. one, Fiona. I'll make it short. So I had this client come in who had an abusive relationship, and they weren't married, but she really loved him, and it was a kind of a spontaneous moment. I said, okay, come on. So I get her here, and uh, she's in the uh, round pen with uh, JJ, and she's – I didn't even have time to make sure there was no horse poop or anything. I just said, come on. So she's in the pen, and the horse is totally not even paying attention to her because she's in her head, 
And then so she walks over. I said, just start, make a circle and start walking. And she got to the poop, and she laughed. And then the horse raises his head, and he's like, oh, somebody's here. And so he goes over to her. And so then um, we kind of go through the process, and I get her to speak some things out loud uh, that is true for her, and the horse stayed with her. And then she stopped, and the horse kind of just peeled off. And I said, so what was that thought? And she's like, I just want, uh, I just want him back, you know. And she kind of started crying a little bit and wanting him back. And, um, and so she started walking towards me. Well, the horse started following her and got behind her and nudged her with his nose, he, with his muzzle, he kind of nudged her a little bit. And I said, well, what do you think the horse is telling you now? And uh, she goes, telling me to move on, you know. And then so I was assuming they were done, and I opened the gate to the little round pen they were in. And so they both stayed in there, and she starts coming over towards the gate, and she starts saying, you know, all these good qualities about him and and saying that she really was going to give him one more tr- one more try, and he walks around her and gets in front of the door to go out and stands there and wouldn't let her out. To block her, yeah. He blocks yeah, her from coming her. out. Yeah. So then I asked her yeah, what they, that might possibly mean, and so she got it. What? Yeah, she did. What happens is the horses. I always say, Kim, that it's not there. Is there is no. Uh, the truth in this work, there is each person's personal truth. And horses are sensitive to each individual's own congruence of truth. So meaning that if Evie's client is thinking one thing in her mind, but really seeing something different in her intuition, feeling yet again something different in her heart, and her gut is twisted up about maybe taking him back, right? So the all the fields of the body, horses do not like that. It's incongruent. It They don't feel safe with it. They'll peel back away from the person. They back up. They have a lot of behaviors. I have one of my little mares. She twists her neck and flips her head like a sassy 14-year-old girl, you know, flipping her mane back. So they don't like that. They want us to be in congruence. And obviously, that's where we're at peace. If the client's mind is thinking one thing, like as hard as it is, that was not a healthy relationship for me and I need to end it. And the intuition says, exactly. And the heart says, are you sure? Yeah, gosh, darn it. I'm so broken. But yes, we have to. And the gut agrees. Now the person's in congruence. They're in their truth. And so we say that a lot. We just use that expression walking in your truth or standing in your truth or speaking from your truth. Well, person to person, you can kind of tell when somebody's maybe not thinking straight, but horses are like a, a lie detector in a way. They're like an equidetector because they sense that energy field. So a client could possibly get by lying to Evie, but they can't get by lying to a horse is the horse won't stand for it. They're like, no, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> we were all in alliance there. Yeah. We were just fine. And then all of a sudden, as you're going out the gate, you're going to take this guy back when your gut is like, oh, God, and your brain's like, oh, no, but your heart's saying, yeah, I'm going to give him another chance. So the horse says, no, wait, we're not done. Mm. <laughs> 
So they're they're brilliant that way. They're really brilliant that way. They call people on their stuff. So yeah, I've had a lot of instances with uh, working with people with substance abuse, and they bust people on substance abuse too. So they're a lot of fun. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Wow. Wow. Well, I, other questions? So do I you have had him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just. I was just thinking, um, well, you had me in tears with the grandma story because um, <laughs> I was just talking about my grandma with my therapist yesterday. And so that, mm. that just put me right into yeah. tears with my great grandma. Because yeah. she asked me specifically, who do you remember who was nurturing and cared and loving right. and right. protecting? And I was like, that was my great grandma. And mm-hmm. um you have me in tears. It takes um, it takes one no, I person. Don't. Kids, yeah, kids can grow up in a home of violence and having their self esteem torn down, and uh, they can take a lot. We're very resilient as humans, and they can take a lot as long as there's one person. Whether it's a teacher that really gets involved in a positive way, you know, supporting a child emotionally. Whether it's a grandparent, a babysitter, whoever it is you got to have that one person and what we see a lot of times is it's it's a grandparent and just to see the difference that there is a difference because if we yes. you know grow up in the home of being abused from the time you're born you don't know that that is wrong and so right. once you get out into to see other homes or see other um, families <clears throat> that you recognize and I think I remember specifically with, um, and, and I'm sure that I had that feeling because I went to my grandma's every weekend just about to go to church. And um, and mm-hmm. I know that I felt very safe there with her and, and stuff. But I also remember going to a friend's house one time and just seeing how their family interacted at dinner time. And, you know, it was just so different than our family. And I, I feel that that and my faith because I my grandma, you know, sent me to church when I was little. Um, sure, I sure. think helped me to be able to, you know, to to thrive in a place. way that yeah, is, yeah, yeah, is able. But exactly. even though I still struggle, you know, because we are uh, yep. still struggling in life. But um, yep. you know, I don't know it, a ton about horses, but my daughter has three horses, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and I spent time out there with her. And I love to just go out there and talk to them, you know, and bring them apples. Yep. And I think they remember me as bringing <laughs> apples because they always come right up yeah. to me with apples. But <laughs> what I've noticed and I think is just so precious is how they are with the babies. Yeah. They are so sweet. Oh, my gosh. I just yeah, love definitely. to watch those with them. And, yeah, you're almost like, you know, my daughter's, her, her oldest is three. And so that's when I first noticed is when they took him out there as an infant. To go out there and um and it, you get a little nervous at first you're like what are they going to do but they, <laughs> they're big you know because right. they they're physically big yeah, they're but they're 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 yeah. innately kind they're very innately kind unless they've been abused they're not anxious they're not nervous you know innately kind the only time you see a horse nervous it's human caused you know so just in their natural state they're very serene and very careful, you know, with children. 
this modality that I, the method that's based in Gestalt, but it, my entire methodology is also, you said something that I was thinking might be interesting to your listeners. It's one of the effective ways to uncover preverbal abuse because many people remember the abuse they incurred once they're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade on up. But sometimes we have people who come and say, I'm wondering, I think I was abused in the crib. I think I was before I could talk, before I could tell anybody, before I could put words around it, before I had the the language, you know, that we can do it. And one is, as you identified, horses just know. And, and our methodology does as well. So we do a lot to help people go back and figure out because it's the body speaking. It doesn't have to have words. The body will take it over and, um, and in the experience release what the body has, you know, what it has to let go of. So just thinking of what you had said earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, not everybody rides the horses. Sometimes they're just no. It's not a no. It's not a riding. Yeah, it's not a riding modality. The horses are on what we call free liberty, so they're in an arena or a round pen uh, with enough room. I have an eighty-foot round pen, eighty-foot circle. So, so they have the horse has plenty of room to get away from the client go stand on the opposite side, give me the feedback that I need, whatever, and come right to the client as we're working. So as the client is speaking or they're addressing things or they're releasing things, you know, the horse is with them, giving them all of that feedback. And uh, for people who are afraid to be in with a horse on Free Liberty, we do work just outside the round pen. But most clients, not all, but most of my clients, if they say, I'm a little nervous to go in the pen with that horse, they say, that's great. Let's work out here. So we do. And before we're done, they're like, well, wouldn't hurt to be in for just a minute because they realize you know, that they're huge hearts and how kind they are. The horses that I have are a breed called a gypsy vanner. So if you know in the old drawings of gypsies with the round top wagons, and the gypsies drive in the black and white horse in the front with all the long mane and hair that we have are gypsy banners. And they're very kind and very quiet and also very sensitive to human vibration. So they're they're pretty brilliant at the work. Aww. Beautiful. Yeah, one of my daughter's horses is a mini. And he can oh, yeah. be kind of jumpy. I don't know if that's just... Like you said, is that maybe how how he was treated before he came to her? Or yeah, probably. He just. I have two. I have two of Evie's. I have two of Evie's minis that moved from Georgia out here to Colorado with me. They're right out in my back, so <laughs> pretty cute. They are so sweet. Yeah, they're yeah. Cute too. <laughs> so, um, let's see if Doctor Nancy has anything else she wanted to. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, I um, I'm trying to remember. I think I I interviewed you once. Um, you know, the more we're talking about horses on horses on horses, I'm like, mm. wait a minute, we talked already. <laughs> and uh, and I really was intrigued by this horse therapy, and to the point that I remember just about 
three days ago or so, I was talking to a, a girlfriend of mine. And I said, you know what? I think I want to go take like a, a a class, maybe try to ride a horse or something. She was like, what is she talking about? What is she talking about? Because it was so random. But honestly, you know, it opened up an area of interest for me. And so I'm just, um, I'm glad to hear that. You know, because I believe in pet therapy. I do believe mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can be very, it can help you with your recovery, just like art can. Absolutely. Healthy yep. relationships, all that good stuff, um, finding something that connects you to something, you know, that makes mm-hmm. you happy. And so um, I'm just uh, very curious to hear uh, what else you have to share regarding you the bet. horses. But um, I, be- I, I believe um, even Mr. Philip was with us on that call, and he was sharing something about, um, I don't know if his neighbors had a horse or something. Mr. Phil, do you remember? My neighbors have four horses. Right. Nice. Right. Well, you know, yeah. Phil, you probably you probably see this with your neighbors' horses, Phil. That horses don't hold judgments, and that's one of the nicest things. You know, they're right there in the present moment. They're right there accepting us in our everyday life and who we are, and they're so aware of whether we're joyous or sad, whether we're overthinking things, which humans do, you know, and they're just not standing in judgment of us. And that in and of itself is is pretty nice in this crazy world because we we can't say that about each other, right? Yeah. If humans were as as nice as horses, right? (laughs) Do you have any questions for me, Phil? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know you need to go enjoy those horses a little more, Philip. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> do that for you. So go do tell you him, ever? I heard... Yeah, go tell him, Phil, that you you heard a lady on the radio who said that they were very aware, very smart, and they understand you. And you watch what happens. <laughs> They'll show you. Did you have another question for me, Kim? Or for Evie? No, I was just thinking. Uh, oh, so I was wondering do you ever use um, people's own horses or do you just use your horses? Mm-hmm. Because you know, mostly people, yeah, mostly people come here and I'm partnering with my horses and that's the norm. But I travel around the country, and so I'm often on somebody else's property um, to do the work. And so I meet a lot of new horses in my in my world. You know, I meet new horses all the time. And um, occasionally I have clients who bring their horse to my ranch and we work together. But normally they come out, and if they have a horse of their own, they're pretty amazed and they start looking at me like, uh-oh, I think I better go home and apologize to my horse because they've been giving me this signal and I didn't know what it was. You know, I just didn't see it. Um, to me, over thousands of years, they've been an incredible companion to human beings. They've toiled our fields and carried us to wars that weren't their wars. They were ours. And 
have helped us, you know, pan for gold. I mean, they've just carried our burdens and worked alongside us for eons. And to me, um, they're, they're, they've just sort of willingly borne our hope on their back, right? Moving us forward, helping us move wagons, helping us move from the east to the west in the U.S. when it was being sent. They just have been amazing friends for us all the way. But in today's world, we're not toiling fields. They're not pulling wagons. We don't need them for uh, anything other than to be our friends, to be our companions, um, some people for sport, that type of thing. Uh, to me, though, their thousands of years of partnership have brought them to being probably the most connected animal with us, even though we have dogs and cats in our homes. They understand us very, very well, and they see deep within us. They see and can reach places that we really can't even find inside ourselves. So just with their touch, with their presence, um, they they make what is fragmented in a person whole, and that's what we love about them. I certainly have dogs and cats, and it's not an anti-dog or cat comment, but you know, dogs are different. Dogs are on our side of the predator-prey continuum. Dogs are hunters like we are. And so they operate differently. They're looking for leadership in a different way than a horse is. And so a horse being with a human is a gift. They they just don't have to do it. <laughs> so it's a total gift. <laughs> yeah. And almost, almost a little bit like cats. You know, they just have their own mind. They just want to do what they want. <laughs> well, they're nicer than cats. Come on. <laughs> a cat would yeah. be laughing. A cat would be laughing at that, right? <laughs> yeah, cats is uh, ultimate yeah, independent that. animal. Independent animal uh, yeah. for cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, my daughter and her husband have been out there for I think four years now and um, she inherited a, a horse her, her first horse that she learned basically how to ride on she had wanted to do horse lessons when she was a child and mm-hmm. she wanted to do westerners because there was a friend that was doing westerners sure, and then sure. she fell off of the horse and then she didn't want to do it again so she didn't get back on the horse until she was an adult and then she decided to go take lessons, and um, and then it was, you know, kind of the lady who had some money over in Cherry Hills, and she was getting a divorce, and her horse, he was an old um, jumping horse, I guess, and so he was retired, you know, lived, you know, he lived a very oh, there's some of the best Cherry Hills. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there's <laughs> some of the best. But then they take yeah, they take him out there. To where they had to, you know, kind of build their own fencing and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. no barn. I feel so sorry for those horses in the winter. I'm just like, because <laughs> like I said, you know that Justin lived a cushy life before he went out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So now he's out there I'm like, oh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. I have two big, beautiful barns and my horses can be up in their stalls or they could be out in a pasture. So they could go from a stall with automatic water and the nice sawdust, you know, really pampered, out into what's called a run, like a 12 by 24 space, and the gates open on the run, and they can go out to acres and acres of pasture. 
So when it's snowing, you know where they are? Voluntarily, because they want to be. They're out, out in the snow. pasture. They love it. They're a cold animal. They come from parts of the world that were negative 15, negative 20. And so that's actually what their bloodstream and their body's built for. It's, I feel more sorry for the horses stuck in parts of Arizona, Texas, Florida. You know, places are really, really hot. People have to give them shade. They need shade more than they need cover from the snow. So even though for us, we'd be miserable out in that snow, they're out there playing and yeah. having a good time. <laughs> they only come up when it's time to eat, and then they're right back out in the snow. So <laughs> the opposite. <Yeah. laughs> and I noticed, too, that after they got they got the mini horse, I think, first after they had Justin, and um, Justin became very, um, like, you know, fatherly, motherly to the to the mini mm-hmm. almost, and mm-hmm. you would see him when it's snowing and at nighttime or whatever that the mini would be laying down, and Justin would be like right on top of him, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, protected him. I was like watching oh, that's over so him, sweet. yeah, yeah, watching <laughs> over him, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, and so well, many don't know, know that they're minis, right, Melissa? Absolutely. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> that one little guy, the little guy I got from you, Cracker Jack, he has no idea that he's smaller than my dogs. No idea. He's like this, a very brave little soul out there, bossing the big horses around for sure. So they're fun. Well, if any of your listeners are Please. thinking this might be a type of therapy or type of coaching that would benefit them, we do have a map on my website that they can go to and, and see if somebody's geographically close to them or uh, they can get a hold of me at my office, tell me what they're interested in working on if they know, and I can provide like a really good referral for them. I would say if their background specifically is in sexual abuse, uh, it's a big country and not a big country. Flying down to see Evie is worth the trip. Go down and stay a couple days. Rather than doing 50 minutes once a week for a year and a half, two years, we tend to do two or three sessions over you know, a few days. So it's very condensed that way and, uh, and get a lot of relief quickly. And then I'm in Colorado, but we have grads all over the country that are really, really great at what they do. I have one uh, graduate who just spent 10 days down in Texas at a nonprofit that specializes in assisting women that have been sex trafficked. And the police pick them up when they bust the guy and the women often go to jail for a little while uh, to keep them safe more than anything else. And then they go to a program there in Texas for two years. And when they're in that program for the two years, they work through some of our work with my graduate to um, become whole again. And two years, you know, if you've been sex trafficked for for several years yourself, yeah, two years it's going to take that. Uh, But for the average client, they're going to see such relief after the first, second, or third, you know, big piece of work that they do with one of our practitioners, they won't even recognize themselves. So we really encourage people to get started where they can, for sure. Yeah. So what's your, what's your website? 
<laughs> so it's touchedbyahorse.com. I got that from an old CBS television show that was number one for years called Touched by an Angel. And to me, my yeah. horses work in that beautiful angelic realm. And so touchedbyahorse.com. There's information on our training programs on the site, but there's a button right at the top that says find a practitioner, and they can go there and look on the map and see who's geographically close and read a little bit about that. But we have probably as many graduates that don't have their info up on the website as we do on the website. So if they want to reach out and just check, uh, they can write to me, uh, which is Melissa with one S, M-E-L-I-S-A, at touchedbyahorse.com. Tell me just a little of your story, and I'll be glad to find, like, the perfect matchup for you. We have uh, a great woman in uh, practitioner in Michigan who also raises these gypsy vanner horses. But her business, she works with people that have um, that are in recovery from substance abuse. And many people that have have really leaned into self-medicating themselves is because they had abusive childhoods. And so we're very savvy to all of that. Um, And her business is called One Nay, like a horse nay, one nay at a time. And so that's kind of fun. And she specializes in working with people in recovery. I like that. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? So <laughs> that's yeah. a fun one. Um, I just wanted want to make sure and clarify that it's touch T O U C H E D by a horse. Uh huh. Yes, okay. like touch by I had, an angel. I, yeah, because I had yeah. on the um, your bio thing. It just said touch by a horse. So is that the name oh, of your? Oh my gosh. No, it is ED. It is past tense ED, right? (laughs) Yeah, like like my heart has been touched is where it came from. My heart's been touched by a horse, right? And that's what happens. They provide this this really beautiful uh, exchange with people. And Evie's business, I think also the name of her business, also describes for an awful lot of people the pain they've gone through which is Voices from My Scars. And I think that's a beautiful, kind of says it all, right? What What do you find from that? And the horses unpack alongside Evie, gently and lovingly unpack each person's story until they can leave it in the sand, leave it right there in the arena. So um, Evie's website is voicesfrommyscars.com. It's voicesfromthescars.com. The scars. From sorry, the I scars. say my. I personalize yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually from the scars. I yeah. from my scars, but I'm like, no, it ain't mine anymore. It's theirs. So voices from the scars. The scars. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All that. Awesome. You know, at Would least. Would you say that you have somebody in most states or just kind of we do. more genetic? We do. We have them all over Canada, most of the U.S., um, not every state, but most of the U.S. And, and like I say, because it's not going to see somebody for 50 minutes every week, which then you need somebody that you could drive to quickly, right? Um, instead, this might be something they start with you on Zoom, and then you make a trip out to their place to meet the horses and 
spend a day or two and uh, and go back home with leaving your pain in their sand. So it's a very different method. It's a little bit more like surgery, right? So you can take medication for years or you can have surgery sometimes and, and it's there and it's deep and it's painful and then it's done. And you go home and you feel different. So uh, that's well, great. Well, like I that. love that. Do you? It's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> Analogy. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say aesthetic. <laughs> so you kind of start with just kind of the counseling on the phone. You're saying that's kind of how you start. No, we really, or no, we really start differently. We're, if you can't tell, we're different. <laughs> we're very different. <laughs> we kind of start different. differently. So we we most of my practitioners they all own their own private practices, so they might open in a very different way but mo- they have been trained to open this way. So most of them start by um, doing an interview with the client in person or they can do it on Zoom, looking at the family of origin, taking a deep dive through question and answer and getting to know the person, um, asking really specific questions about the framework of the family, sort of looking at your family tree. And they're trained to be extremely good listeners. So they're listening for certain things. They're listening for where unfinished business might be, for where the client's reactive, et cetera. And from that, they can usually say, why don't you come out for, you know, Wednesday, get here Wednesday afternoon at 1. We'll do the afternoon together. We'll do two sessions on Thursday. You can fly home Thursday night and or fly home Friday, whatever you want to do. So they can figure out how to unpack it, and um, they're very good at listening and very good at asking questions. So the questions that we ask are questions with a concept that Gestalt holds that says that we hold people as resourceful, we hold them as capable, we hold them as whole, right? So we don't diagnose people. We're kind of an anti-diagnostic model. We're a humanistic model where we say, I say, I believe you are capable. I believe you have your own answers. I don't have the answers for you, Kim, but I know how to ask you questions to bring your answers to the forefront for you. Because I don't, you know, I'm not you. I don't have the answers for your life. And for me, that's the difference between counseling somebody or giving advice to somebody or helping them understand intellectual concepts versus what we do in this modality, which is to hold you as having your own answers, but they're outside your awareness. So my expertise is bringing your answers in front of you so you have access to them. Because, gosh, people will come and say, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. Well, I don't know what they're going to do about it either, but I sure know how to help them figure out what is their answer, their best answer for themselves. And so it's between dropping the pain in the sand and figuring their own answers, a lot of clarity comes. And that, for me, is what this is all about, is finding the truth, standing on the truth, gaining clarity, feeling self-compassion, not self-pity, but self-compassion, having a much deeper uh, attachment and 
and love of yourself, which is taken away when you're abused as a child. You know, most kids that are abused as a child grow up feeling like they're not enough, like they're not truly lovable, like there's something wrong with them, (laughs) you know. So kids are quick to sponge that all in and add two and two and get five and say, well, I guess I'm a terrible person because my own mother wanted to beat me. Or I guess I'm, you know, not very lovable because my own father left when I was three. So whatever their story is that they've formed for themselves, we unpack it and get rid of it, clear it up. Yeah. And I used to always throw out there, I had two dads and neither one of them were any good. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like, how do you get rid of that? <laughs> that <laughs> So I would ask you, you're uh, yeah. not in a session with you're not in a session with me right now, Kim, but I would ask you yeah. to say that again but not laugh as you're telling me that. Okay. <laughs> right? Go ahead. Um because I think that's a yeah, that's a like a tool that I use right. to we, kind of guard myself. Yeah, and we deflect to deflect the pain, right? To deflect the pain and to make it somehow okay, you know. So I'm not I'm not criticizing you in any way. I'm not being no, smart no. with you. I'm saying in a session, that's what I would say is say, Kim, you're in a safe place. You're in a sacred, safe place right here. Tell me that one more time. Only don't laugh as you're telling me that. You know, because no child, think from your child self, no child wants to say, I had two fathers or I had three fathers or my father left or, you know, none of us. We we're all have those childhood stories and they're not funny. They're painful. And they've left yeah. scars. They've left wounds. And what we believe in Gestalt is that's unfinished. That, you know, there's a part of you that would like to, uh, rather than laugh at it, kind of say, what the heck, parents? You know, what, what was that in a childhood? What exact circus were you creating for me when I was a kid? You know, I didn't deserve that. I deserved better. So, yeah, and what I'm finding, too, just by being aware of what you just said, as my, mm-hmm. my kind of giggling, is, um, and I also never told my my children, as they were growing up, I never told them about any of my abuse as a child. Mm, and mm. Um, and so there's things that are coming out now, now that they've started to understand that yes. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've written, I've been in a couple books, and both of my daughters uh-huh. have decided to read about it before talking to me about it. So it was yeah. a shock, I guess, yeah. for them, some of it. And, and there's still things coming out, and my oldest daughter has said to me just recently one time too that um, she doesn't like it when I laugh at when I'm trying to right. be serious or something. Right, and, I'm like, and that's and it's I, I didn't yeah, get it's, that. Right, it's self protection, right? And and everybody does it. Everybody has resistances and defenses and and all these things. And what I think I loved about Gestalt for my own therapy when I was in my 20s and and a client in it was that it wasn't telling me that how I acted was wrong or how I felt was wrong or how I behaved was wrong. It was saying the more I had an awareness of how I was doing that, the less I did it, the more truthful I became and the more I supported myself, you know, the more I could grow in my own 
love and awareness of myself. Fritz Perls, who was kind of the father of Gestalt way back in the 1950s, and it was a pretty extreme therapy for, for its time, and it still has a kind of a, uh, a reputation behind it from those days back in the 50s and 60s when things were a little crazier. And, and so bringing forth the premise that he had is what I did, like a renaissance of Gestalt, because he says if we have full awareness of ourselves, what makes us who we are, the different parts of ourselves, the way we respond to certain situations, all of that. The more self-awareness we have and the more responsibility we can take for who we are, the mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy we are. He said that is mental health. Mental health is truly knowing yourself. And a lot of people think they know themselves, but when you really start looking at, you know, for you, let's say Kim is a little girl, what was that like to have these two fathers, neither one was any good? What do you suppose you learned about men? What do you suppose you learned about what women respond to with men? What do, you know, you took all that in as a kid. We all did. Everybody on this call and everybody listening to this show has their own story of what was there, but I always say, what played on the big screen? What was your movie that you watched as a kid in your family? And what deductions did you make for yourself? And gosh darn it, most of us as kids somehow felt responsible for the craziness in our family. And we shouldn't have, but we did. And we took it all in, and now we're acting it out as an adult. So, yeah, it's it's twisty, right? And I just, it is. And, and so mm-hmm. you just can't imagine how complicated that is in your own mind. And so it's trying to unpack it a little bit at a time. And I think yep, that's the, yeah. um, <laughs> what I do every day, girl. <laughs> What I do every day, several clients a day, every day, helping people unpack it. And and I will say, and I think Evie will back me up, I'm I'm a really joyful person. I have to say I laugh a lot. I have fun. I'm a very joyful person. I work hard, but I'm a joyful person, and yet I listen to people's dark stories about terrible things that they went through as a child – for a living, like all the time, at least five days a week, I've got people crying with me and sitting in their pain and, and doing all that. So how do I stay so joyful? Because I'm not confluent in their work, right? I I know, like a surgeon, how does a surgeon take a scalpel and cut into somebody and, and reach into their organs? I mean, that's beyond me, right? Mm, so yeah. I, it's kind of like that. I sit in the presence of pain. And what I trust and what I know is this is not a modality where you're going to look at it, talk about it, walk away with a better understanding of it, but still carry the pain home. Uh-uh. They leave that pain in my sand. They leave it in Evie's sand of her arena. They do not take it home. So then they think back on the memory, and there's no charge to it. So what was the most painful memory of their life? They unpack and look at and finish it up and come to wholeness in it. Leave the pain of it here. A week later, they try to tell somebody about, you know, I worked on blah, 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 and this happened to me when I was a kid. There's no charge. There's no pain. There's no emotion around it. 
the details are there. They can remember it as a memory, but they don't feel the sadness or the shame or the yes, you know, around it. So that's why I'm so dedicated to it in my life because as I watch somebody go through it, I know, oh, my gosh, they're going to feel so good afterwards, you know. And uh, yeah. that's very different than than talking about it in clinical clinical terms with a psych, which I love. I'm a psychotherapist, so I get that. To talk about helps us intellectually understand it and develop tools to deal with things, right? But that training does not take people into let's finish up what's held in the cells of the body, what is somatically stopping people, and what is triggering them in their in their everyday relationships now. You know what, Melissa? Oh, yeah. um, just listening to you, um, uh, thinking about when we were talking about my strategies. Now, I had a list of strategies, um, so <laughs> I kept Melissa on her toes. So um, she was working on a strategy, She, I think a couple of them, and the strategy, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of it, but I would say I don't know, like, all the time. Yeah. And she was like, do you even know how often you say that? And I was like, no. Yeah. And um, so just talking about the different strategies and mm-hmm. uh, bringing that into my awareness and kind of picking apart the strategies was so helpful mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, um, and being able to say, you know, what would it be like for you if you did know? You know, what would that be like? What is your brain protecting you from, and what would it be like if you did know? So it is gently, you know, helping the person come to, wow, I do. And you did when I met you at first, Evie. Almost everything I asked you, you said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And I really didn't know because I was so disassociated. I was just like, I don't know nothing. Right. Yeah, so your brain wanted it that way. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to protect you. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It was, that was that was just so beautiful. I just I remember so many awesome things when working with <laughs> Melissa. And I mean, I I do them with my clients. Like uh, like one of the big profound things for me was. Uh, we were talking about compassion, self-compassion, and I'm just like, well, your self-compassion and my self-compassion are different. You know, your definition, I get the real definition that you have to learn when you're a kid, but your definition and mine are different. So people, (laughs) so, I mean, going through so much abuse, compassion for me wasn't what Melissa was describing. I didn't understand it. I I couldn't feel into it. And she Mm -hmm. was so good about, like, Melissa would, she was so good about crying for me because I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to cry or anything. And um, so she would be so compassionate for me. And she was, uh, I don't know if she was projecting it, but she was putting that energy out there for Mm -hmm. me to feel. I would feel it. And eventually I was like, okay, wait a minute, I'll feel it. I mean, that was just so elementary. Yeah, we were looking at Yeah, we were looking at, and I think a lot of the listeners, if they come from a a family of abuse, would relate to what you're saying, Evie. And and a little child spends so much of their life 
figuring out how to not feel, right? That's like, okay, I'm going to survive these crazy parents of mine and this violent family of mine if I can just figure out how to not feel. You know, just be like invisible and not have feelings, I could make it. And so many clients come and they, when I say this is your inner child, this is the little you, can you feel compassion for this little girl and what she went through? And all that she withstood and all that she went through. Well, for me, as a practitioner, I am a high feeler and I'll often feel deep sympathy, compassion, and caring for my client's little inner child and all they went through, all they survived, right? But it's not uncommon. The client themselves struggles to feel that because it's so shut down. So now you have a client seeing, I have a client seeing me genuinely with authenticity, feeling compassion for this little girl and all she went through. And it allows them to open up and say, huh, maybe she did go through a lot. Maybe I did. Huh, maybe I did. And there's no maybe about it in Evie's case. She went through a tremendous amount as a child. So that's that's that piece, if we can find the difference between self-compassion and self-pity. We're not asking anybody to be a victim or, or have self-pity, but gosh, I can't even imagine how many clients in my 40 years of practice would tell me, I thought I was an adult. Until I did this work, I, people would say, your childhood when you were 8 or 9 or 10, and they thought they were an adult. They don't remember being a kid. You know, they don't remember being innocent or childlike or, you know, running through the house making noise because they're going to get beat. So that's robbed. That's part of what's taken, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I raised my brother. I used to say he was my, my very own live baby doll. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was two and a half years older than he was, so, yeah. Um, yeah, he was lucky to have you. So you were that one person for him. And um, I know I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, what you do and, and what you get out of it too for others, how how I was feeling, how I feel too when I go into these classes because it's not about, it's not about my story when I go to these classes to teach. It's about educating that adult, mm-hmm. you know, you know, those adults in those yep. classes on on the ways to keep yep. your child safe. And so it's so Absolutely. empowering. I mean, I didn't even realize how empowering it was until I started doing it. And I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> this is right. This is it. Right. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So um, yeah. just having that. And I do, I have family members that will sometimes tell me because I do, you know, you, I do get depressed at times. And, um, uh huh. I've been separated from my husband for almost a year now, too, and so we're we're discussing those, you know, final stages that he doesn't want to but sure, sure. And that can be kind of hard. hard. But yeah, mm-hmm. when I go into the class, that's what I just I I love to be able to be there for somebody else. So that right. that gives me a lot of strength. <laughs> so I'm sure you guys get a lot out of it as well. Oh, absolutely. So we are down. Yeah. Yeah. We are down to like six minutes. I told you it would go so fast. <laughs> and, <Yep>. um, 
let's go ahead and bring Dr. Nancy back on and fill up and see if you guys have anything you wanted to say. Any other questions? Okay. I just want to say thank you for joining us and thank you for bringing light to such an important topic. You know, people don't really realize that they don't have to heal alone and that there's so many different options for healing. So I just wanted to just, again, thank you for that. And thank you for uh, letting us know that you have resources on your website. That's very important because, like I, I mentioned, yeah, like I just mentioned that I'm I'm thinking about it. And why not? Yeah. You know, I got to play <laughs> with Why not? That's right. <laughs> I'm in Georgia, That's so right. I'm sure I'm sure that there's there's somebody close by somewhere around here. But I'll be reaching out for sure because I did mention that that's something that was on my mind just a couple of days ago. So I'm yeah, just, um, for grateful. sure. Well, e- yeah, Evie's in Georgia, and I'm in Colorado, and we've got people all over. So Evie's right there in Georgia. So that may be a great first oh. stop for sure. Hi, Evie. Well, awesome. <laughs> I'm in Lawrenceville. Oh, that's about, uh, I don't know, 35 minutes from me. Well, there oh. you go. That's right up the street. Yeah. <laughs> kids, kids. So we'll, we'll be connecting for sure. Okay. Definitely. Okay. I, got your, I got both of your numbers and emails from Thank the web, from, um, yep. from the show. So I have Touched, Yeah, touchedbyahorse.com. And for your listeners, I do a free a wisdom message you can sign up for it on my site Mm. and it's a little message that ends up in your email every day and it is a beautiful loving message from the heart of a horse the horse's name is wisdom and uh, wisdom gives these beautiful uh, photos and messages just real short like one sentence or two sentences very uplifting, and I have a lot of people worldwide that just swear by those messages. So they're called wisdom messages. They're on my touchedbyahorse.com, and they're free. And you can anybody can go in and sign up for those, and they're they're very uh, loving every day. Good way to start the day. Yeah, they are. They're wonderful. Thank you. Did we lose you, Kim? I know. I was like, what happened? Oh, I was on mute. I muted myself, and I started talking to you. (laughs) I was like, I was walking away. (laughs) So um, before we go, though, Philip, did you have anything else you wanted to say or question or anything? No, thank you, Kim. We're glad you were on with us tonight. I hope it was. A blessing you to bet. you as well. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm well, thank you. Very thank grateful you for having, you. You for having us. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have been just a wonderful resource, and I I just love these new, these new things yeah. that come into our vision, you know, around yep. doing these things. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? All right. Tell, tell Bill I missed him on here. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what? He's he's not always on, but he he listens to all of the show. So oh. he will definitely. If he's not listening right now, then he'll he'll get on and listen to it in a little while. So well, there you go. Cool. Hear you Thank you so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks yes, for thank having you us. Thank you so much for being on. You bet. Thank you. Bye, ladies. Yeah. All righty. We'll keep you keep in touch. <laughs> Take care. Good night. So, everyone, we're just so so blessed that we had um, Melissa and Evie on tonight. And we're glad that they were able to, to give us some resources and also give us some places that we can call and and these special messages that um, I'm definitely going to sign up for. So thank you, everyone, for being on tonight. Thanks so much for being here again. And Dr. Nancy, my beautiful co-host. And um, we will talk to you all later. Remember, if you see something out there in the world that needs attention, if you see a child hurting or being hurt by a child or by an adult, Please say something. Have a good evening, everyone. Here. Good night. Another tomorrow. Cause that's gone.